I wasn't going to say this this morning, but um, I was prompted by uh, Graham and Philippa's contribution with that uh, DVD from Malawi and the report on how that trip went. The weekend before they departed, Linda and I had the privilege of visiting Fabian Emmy and Deo Gloria Church in Honeydwara. Whilst we were there, they said to us, we've got a thousand lei to give you for mission. Now let's just step back in time a, a year or two. Fabi and Emmy have been talking uh, about how they could be involved in mission as a church. When we moved on the Monday afternoon, Monday evening to Felnac to the project that uh, John and Hilary Gooding are involved in and we spent some time with them, they were bowled over by what had happened in Honeydwara. You see, if you go to the Romanian evangelical church in general, their concept of mission is diametrically opposed to ours. If they have a visiting speaker in their church, and that speaker is given his expenses for his travel, that's mission. That's their concept of mission. And so, Fabian Emmy giving us this thousand lay, 174 pounds. This was totally, totally different from anything that, out, out, that happens elsewhere in the church in Romania. So on the Monday, uh, I was able to uh, get through to the church. Claire picked the phone up straight away and I said, Claire, I want you to get Ian or Graham and Philippa to get £174 out to Malawi for work amongst the children, which you've heard they did. That was such an encouragement. Yes, we've supported them for years and we've helped them and hopefully can help them again this year with the Awana Club. But some of these gifts came from kids who, as Fabian and Emmy have told us, when they come to the Awana Club, they smell like a fasty room because their clothes are all mouldy, the houses are so damp, their apartments. Sometimes they come with socks that are wet, sometimes they come with no socks. Their clothes smell. <clears throat> and yet these children are getting to grips with mission. And out of the little that they have, they've been putting money into a big jar, a Awana mission fund. It was such an encouragement. They send their greetings and things are going well with Deo Gloria and they're seeing God bless them and it's no wonder. They're seeking to be obedient. So let's just turn to our passage this morning. First Peter chapter 3 and just a couple of verses 
If you've got the place, it's verse 15. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Just pray. Father, as we come to your word this morning, move ourselves away from a chaotic week in our land and in many lands. A disturbing week, perhaps. Father, may it be that we will cement our hope in Christ. That the Holy Spirit of God will take of the word this morning and bless it to our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. When uh, Ian Phillips first published the preaching program uh, for this series, I found myself looking at the, the, the passage of Scripture and the title, uh, Fruitfulness on the front line as the overarching heading and the title for today, Messenger of the Gospel. I was just wondering if there was contained within those two verses that we read something a little deeper, something a little more challenging than what they seem to say at a first glance. And I trust you will follow as we consider the scriptures together. Trust that each one of us will be challenged as we seek to serve, as we endeavor to run the race, and as we look to the Lord in all of our walk for him. Now, it's warm in here this morning. If you do happen to fall asleep, you'll be in good company. At the end of a busy day, uh, during last week, I, I lay down in bed uh, and uh, my mind was running over the sermon, trying to construct it and uh, get the context uh, t- together and the content, content. And within minutes, I was fast asleep. So you're in good company. But today's text is not an easy one. At a quick glance, that may not seem to be the case. We may assume that because we're a Christian, because we follow uh, godly principles and seek to be truthful and honest, seek to be upright in all our business dealings and in our family life, that we are maintaining a good testimony. Largely speaking, that is probably true. That is commendable. And that is good. But sometimes, as is the case this morning, it's wise and prudent to take a closer look, to examine our hearts, to look into God's Word a little more thoroughly, and to ask some pertinent questions. How are we doing? Are we being fruitful on that front line? 
Are we indeed acting as messengers of the gospel? So let's just consider that text again. But, in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Peter is encouraging us to be holy in our conduct or different or set apart. And the basis for that encouragement might be found uh, in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone, any man, woman is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, all things, all new things have come. And Peter might have been referring uh, to the Old Testament, to the command in Leviticus 11.44, For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. God saves us. He sets us apart for his purposes. And he is looking for fruitfulness. As a holy God, he expects us to allow his holiness to be transforming our lives, to be guiding our decisions, and to be impacting on our attitude and our behavior. Are there areas in our lives that are not quite set apart as God would desire? Are there choices that we make that we believe will bring us satisfaction, joy, and happiness? And yet in reality, those choices just bring the opposite. God has, through the work of Christ at Calvary, saved us, set us apart, and equipped us to live for him in order that his purposes are fulfilled in his kingdom. We've been made new. Been given a new identity in order that we can have a new motivation, a new energy, a new contentment, truly able to praise our God from transformed hearts and minds. And if that is a problem to us, then there needs to be a sincere examination as to the reasons why we do not worship and we do not trust the living God and why we do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. Why there has been no repentance for sin. Repent and believe is the bedrock of the gospel. It is foundational to our growth in Christ and to allowing God to take control of our lives, simply trusting him for salvation, for guidance, and for direction. Do we struggle with that concept? Do we accept that he is sovereign and that he loves us with an everlasting, unfailing love? 
A, a changed life comes from a changed belief structure and a belief that God and his gospel are sufficient for all life and godliness. So let's just briefly look at our text again. We used to listen years ago to a man by the name of Jack Hunter, Scotsman, able preacher, good Bible teacher. And he used to say, you can read the Bible. You can read the Bible carefully. But today we're going to read the Bible more carefully. So verse 15 of our passage commences with the word but. But. And this would indicate to us that it is important to examine what has preceded the text. So we go back up the page a little. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer. Verse 12. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Verse 13. And who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? Verse 14. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. And then verse 15, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. And as believers, as Christians, we must acknowledge the eternal holiness of Christ by revering revering him as the Lord of the universe who is in control of all things. And the one who needs to be acknowledged to be in control of our lives. Lord of our lives. And then verse 15 again, always being ready to make a defense. You see, Peter assumes that the Christian faith will come under attack. Peter knows that we will be falsely accused. And he therefore encourages us to have rational answers to respond to those false accusations. Also in verse 15, there is gentleness or meekness. It's the same term used in verse 4 in the passage, a gentle and a quiet spirit. And in no way does meekness indicate weakness. Both Moses and Christ and others in the scripture, they were meek men. But never were they found to be weak men. And we notice that this is coupled with fear or reverence or respect. So following that little word but at the start of verse 15, there is presented to us some amazing truths and we'll endeavor to cover these in a moment. But before that, let's, um, let's just refresh our memories regarding one or two important buts in scripture. There are many uh, and we'll only have time just to glance over a few of them. We had a series in Joshua some while back, and in chapter 24 of Joshua, verse 15, there's that famous statement by that great leader, but as for me and my house, we will serve 
the Lord. Joshua has been reminding the tribes of Israel as they're gathered at Shechem of all that God has done for them through many of his chosen ones. Abraham and Canaan, the gift of Isaac and Jacob and Esau, Egypt and all the horrors that were there until Moses and Aaron were used and they left crossing the Red Sea. They were sustained by the Lord for all those years in the wilderness. And still God proves his faithfulness to them. As Joshua issues the challenge to them, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. You will observe in verse 15 of that chapter, there is free choice. There is no compulsion and there are no threats. Joshua says, and if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. Fruitfulness on the front line, messengers of the gospel. Friends, we have a choice. And 1 Peter 3.15 lays out that choice for us. However, Joshua would declare to us, to that great gathering of of his people, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. David the psalmist in Psalm 18 and verse 18, he says something similar. He says, they confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. And then in Mark's gospel, we see the Lord in action. Chapters 14 and 15, Jesus is being questioned by the chief priests and the council and then by Pilate. They're looking for ways to trap him, looking for something that they can use that would warrant their desire to put him to death. And then the scriptures declare, but Jesus kept silent. But Jesus made no answer. Paul, reminding the Corinthians of their wonderful inheritance, declares in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, death is swallowed up in victory. And then he says, oh death, where is thy, your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But, thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, Paul is in action in Ephesians chapter 2. He declares how far from God we were, dead in our trespasses and sins and living our lives corrupted and in disobedience to God's will and separate from Christ. And in the middle of this awful picture comes a statement, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even we were, when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. And also, but now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So how are we feeling as messengers of the gospel? We have a remit in Matthew's gospel to go, evangelism, witnessing, spreading the good news of Jesus Christ has never been an optional extra where perhaps those who engage in such activities will gain smarty points or a pat on the back spiritually. It has to be our central concern. 
not just for the few. Because there is no future for evangelical Christianity if we just sit back and ignore the challenge. But what does this mean? Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Well, let's look at what Jesus says. Luke 21, if you want to refer to it. And see if we can ascertain what it means to get ready and stay ready and understand of what does this state of readiness consist. Luke 21, verse 12 They will lay hands on you, says Jesus, and they will persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues and to the prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. Please note verse 13 of that same passage. Jesus says it will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. Followed by verse 14 where he says, So make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves. Hang on a minute. Not to make up your minds to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves. This sounds crazy. This appears to be nothing but gross foolishness and a dangerous way to go about things. Here we are, confronted by those who are completely opposed to or at least only mildly interested in what we have to say for ourselves and Jesus suggests that we make no preparation whatsoever. How are we going to be messengers of the gospel? How are we going to be fruitful on the front line if, as it seems, we are to be lackadaisical in our preparation for the task that's in hand? It appears to be unworkable. Peter encourages us to always be ready. And Jesus says, don't prepare beforehand. So the question now becomes essential. Absolutely crucial. Not to be taken lightly. How do we make ourselves ready? How do we stay with our readiness on track in order that we may give an account of the hope that is in us. Well, we may notice in Luke 21, verse 15, that Jesus says, For I will give you utterance and wisdom, which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. My fellow believers, we need to look at our text this morning again. And we need to observe that that which precedes the phrase... Always being ready. And maybe note, and it may be in your Bible, that the word being should be in italics. Perhaps not even there. What Peter is really wanting us to understand is this. Set apart or sanctify or reverence Christ as Lord in your hearts, ready always to give an answer. And this would strongly indicate to us that there's a vital connection between how we acknowledge the Lordship of Christ in our hearts and always being ready to give an answer regarding the reason for our hope. Let me just say that again. There seems to be a strong indication that there's a vital connection 
between how we acknowledge the lordship of Christ in our hearts and always being ready to give an answer regarding the reason for our hope. Verse 14 encourages not to fear, not to be troubled. Setting apart Christ in our hearts, sanctifying him as Lord is the alternative to fearing men and what they say and do. Therefore, we have a source of confidence and hope. Because of our hope in him, we have a close relationship between setting Christ apart in our hearts and always being ready to defend our hope in him. So what is it about sanctifying Christ in our hearts that will turn fear into hope and equip us always with a reason for that hope that we can present to those who ask us? Well, perhaps Isaiah might give us a clue. Chapter 8 of Isaiah, verses 11 to 14, For thus the Lord spoke to me with his mighty power and instructed me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, You are not to say it's a conspiracy. And you are not to fear what they fear or be in dread of it. It is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy and he shall be your fear and he shall be your dread. Then he shall become a sanctuary. Peter takes those same thoughts from Isaiah. And uses them to speak to his fellow Christians and therefore to us at CBC today. The passage in Isaiah makes it abundantly clear that we are to fear God or treat him as holy rather than fearing what men fear or dread. Does this mean that we transfer our worries and fear about men only to have the same effect when we fear God? I think not. God would never have us in such a state of trembling with such fear of him as to render us helpless. So verse 14 seals it for us when God declares he will be our sanctuary. For those who fear him... He will be a safe place, a secure place, and a place where peace reigns. We need that after this last week or so. Does it not seem to be an oxymoron to be considering fear and safety, dread and security, and fear and peace together? No. Because what Isaiah is trying to convey is that he must always regard the displeasure of God as more fearful than the displeasure of men. In other words, if he casts aside the many promises of God and instead fears the threats of men, he is effectively putting forward the case that God is not trustworthy, that he's not likely to care, that he's not inclined to keep his promises. And by so doing, he loses all reverence and fear of his God. And so back to Peter and hopefully we'll appreciate the connection between Isaiah and today's challenge from God's word. Sanctifying Christ as Lord in our hearts will help us to understand 
That to displease Christ is more fearful than the threats that men level at us. And that which displeases him the most is unbelief. Therefore, setting him apart in our hearts means that we will cling on to his word. That we will believe his promises and we therefore will behave as ambassadors for him. So why in conclusion are we not so inclined to be messengers of the gospel? Or why sometimes do we feel so inadequate? Perhaps it's because we lack hope. We just don't take on board all that has been offered to us since we came to Christ. And when there is an opportunity to, to declare our hope, we end up instead just defending a doctrine. But with gentleness and with reverence, we should present our hope by being more hopeful. Settling matters in our own hearts first as to how and why Christ has brought to us and brought us to a living hope. Reflecting on his character. Reflecting upon his person. Reflecting upon his work. This will help us to build up our own defenses against fear and timidity and therefore enable us to be effective messengers of the gospel. Amen.